Neera Tandon, uh, last week, if you don't know, Neera Tandon, the corrupt uh, henchman for Hillary Clinton, uh, president of the phony Center for American Progress, uh, Neera Tandon um, is up for chairwoman of the Office of Management and Budget. And she has no qualifications to be the chairwoman for the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, essentially, Biden naming her or nominating her to be the chairperson of the Office of Management and Budget. I don't know. It's kind of like a favor, you know, a wet kiss to the Clinton wing. He's Biden's already staffed his whole administration with Obama bots, uh, people from the Obama days. And it seems to me the near attendant thing was a big wet kiss to Hillary Clinton and the Clinton wing of uh, things. But on Friday, it came out that Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, of all people, uh, was voting no, was voting no against Neera Tandon. And we know it's a very, 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 very tight um, margin in the Senate, uh, 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. So basically for for Tandon or other nominees, really, to make it, um, Biden can't afford to lose any Democrats, really, because it's not a definite that she she will get any Republican votes. So Manchin voting no was a big deal because if even one Democrat votes no, along with every Republican voting no, then she's done, which would be a huge victory for the progressive left. Because let's let's be clear. Yeah, her tweets are horrendous. Her tweets are objectionable. But forget the tweets. Neera Tandon symbolizes everything wrong with the United Corporations of America. If you don't know, we do live in the United Corporations of America. She is everything wrong. Putting aside the tweets, she there's not a special interest in this, this country that she has not serviced. There's not uh, a corporation, fossil fuel executives, even foreign countries at the Center for American Progress. Oh, they were taking money from Saudi Arabia. They were talking, taking money from the United Arab Emirates. I mean... They took money from everywhere, everywhere. And as WikiLeaks showed you in those emails that were released, uh, she was even suggesting to John Podesta and others, hey, if we got a budget deficit, let's just steal Libya's oil. She said the quiet part. She, you know, Trump said the quiet part out loud that we go to war with all these countries to steal their oil. Uh, Miss Tandon said it behind the scenes. Uh, so she's horrendous. But to me, this Neera Tandon's nomination, and I'm about to give you the update on all the Republicans who now have said they won't vote for her, but Neera Tandon, to me, her nomination is even further if Biden was already slapping Bernie Sanders and the progressive left in the, left in the face with a lot of these people he was staffing his administration with, putting Neera Tandon, nominating Neera Tandon was beyond a slap in the face. I mean, this is a spit in the face. This is a punch in the face. Uh, because Neera Tandon, forgetting the tweets, Neera Tandon has done everything possible to gaslight on the progressive movement. She helped plant for Hillary Clinton's campaign the Bernie bros bullshit. Excuse my French swear jar. She helped plant the Bernie bros bullshit with CNN, MSNBC, The Daily Beast, all of them in 2016. She helped push that Bernie Sanders is a racist, that Bernie Sanders is a sexist, Bernie Sanders is an atheist. I mean, you name it. 
Uh, she also has been a cheerleader for cutting Social Security, privatizing healthcare, um, endless war. I mean, you name it, neoliberalism to a T. So she, Manchin, uh, voting no, like I just told you, could potentially uh, signify uh, her going down. And then other Republicans today, that's the update. Other Republicans today have announced they won't vote for her, basically putting her nomination in grave, grave danger and potentially leaving Bernie Sanders as the figure. Bernie Sanders, who has not said whether he will vote for her. Bernie Sanders is the figure who might determine uh, whether she will be nominated. So let me give you the update here. Uh, Neera Tandon's nomination to be Joe Biden's budget chief is, e- is in even more trouble. Susan Collins and Mitt Romney said on Monday they will oppose Tandon to lead the bud- White House budget office, dealing a decisive blow to her hopes of confirmation. And Democrats aren't even sure whether Tandon will receive a vote on the Senate floor. Tandon's bid to become director of the Office of Management and Budget first became in peril Friday when Manchin announced he would oppose her, citing her controversial Twitter feed. I mean, obviously, that's not the reason, but I don't really care what Manchin's reason is as long as he's doing it. Without the support for Manchin in an evenly divided Senate, Tandon needs backing from at least one Republican. Moderate Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has not yet said how she will vote and seems to be Biden's best and only hope. Yet without Romney or Collins supporting her nomination, it's increasingly unlikely that Tandon will be confirmed. She would be the first Biden cabinet nominee to fail. She's scheduled to receive a vote in the Senate Homeland Security Committee this week. Moderate Kristen Sinema. She ain't no moderate. She's a right winger, uh, technically a Democrat from Arizona, who is often aligned with Manchin, sits on the committee, but has not declared her position on Tandon. Uh, Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin said it was too soon to say whether Tandon would receive a vote on the Senate floor, but also too soon to say whether Biden should pull her nomination. So we got we got Romney. No, we got Susan Collins. No, we got Manchin. No. Then it comes in right before I went live. We got no from Senator Pat Toomey, Toomey of Pennsylvania, who was one of the only uh, Republicans who aren't spineless shits to say or to vote that Trump should have been convicted uh, for impeachment. And he's retiring, Pat Toomey. So I guess he allowed himself to have some moral uh, fortitude there. But Toomey is going to vote no against Neera Tandon, as is fellow uh, Republican who's going to retire. Rob Portman says he will not vote for her. Um, so as uh, CNN's reporter here, the Biden team is running out of options to rescue the Tandon nomination with with a man with Manchin and no, they need at least one Republican and they still run the risk that Cinema, who is yet to say how she would vote, could also vote no. And the White House, uh, Biden's uh, White House, because we know we know when in doubt, let's play identity politics. Uh, Biden's White House uh, earlier uh, issued a very, very uh, big defense, big defense of uh, Neera Tandon, um, Jen Psaki. The White House's uh, press secretary wrote, Neera Tandon equals accomplished policy expert, would be first Asian-American woman to lead OMB, got to throw that in there, has lived experience having benefited from a number of federal programs as a kid, looking ahead to the committee votes this week and continuing to work towards her nomination. So uh, Biden's press secretary basically says, don't mind that she's a fierce supporter of 
cutting Social Security. Don't mind that she's in emails told us to steal other countries' oil. Uh, don't mind that she's a fierce opponent of universal health care during a deadly pandemic. Don't mind uh, that she had her staffers at the Center for Phony American Progress uh, basically scrub their reports or change their reports or not publish their reports if it dared um, um, upset or potentially upset donors like Michael Bloomberg. Don't mind on any of this. Don't mind on any of this. Um, and that's before we get to the mean tweets against Bernie and the rest of them. Uh, she's Asian American, so that should do it, right? I mean, honestly, this identity politics, essentially, it, it's, it's beyond gaslighting. Really, what Biden's administration is doing and has been doing is essentially trying to sprinkle a little fairy dust here, over here, and make sure you don't look over here. Let's sprinkle some fairy dust. Oh, uh, the defense secretary, oh, he's on the board of Raytheon? Well, he's the first black defense secretary, so don't f- don't worry about the fact that he's on the board of Raytheon. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, the Asian Americans they're putting in, black, black Americans they're putting in, Latino Americans they're putting in. Hey, I'm all for wider representation, diversity, gender, uh, sexual orientation. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, But if they're the same neoliberal hacks uh, selling you out uh, under the greater United Corporations of America, then I don't really care if they glow in the dark. I don't want them, and you shouldn't want them. And by the way, there are plenty of more qualified and progressive Asian Americans that Biden could have put in as chair of the Office of uh, Budget and Management. Just saying. But this is where uh, Bernard Sanders might come into play. And I'll tell you, I reached out to Bernie's people. Uh, Well, I reached out to some people I know uh, in Bernie's world. They don't know. They don't know if he'll vote for her. He hasn't really given a yes. So you got, really, it might come down to Bernie. Because let's say, for argument's sake, the uh, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, who is one of these quote-unquote moderate, they call them, Republicans. Let's say that she says, I'll vote for Neera Tandon. Okay, well, you got one Republican. Then you need every, uh, you need, uh, if Manchin's going to vote no, uh, if you get, if you get Murkowski, um, if you get Cinema, and then you get Bernie, it's possible Kamala Harris would then put her over the top. Kamala Harris could come in and break a tie. So this is all making assumptions that you get a Republican to vote yes, that you get a uh, Kristen Cinema. But let's say that's the case and it's you need one more. Is Bernie Sanders for once in his political life going to show a spine? I mean, listen, you know how I feel. I'm a Bernie guy, but a Bernie guy could criticize Bernie, too. And Bernie Sanders has been, I mean, I mean, just steamrolled by Joe Biden. He's been spit in the face. He's been slapped in the face. He's been insulted by Joe Biden. I mean, let's follow the sequence of events here, shall we? Sorry to give you, you know, your PTSD, but he dropped out early on in March 2020, gave a full-throated endorsement of Joe Biden, uh, did that hostage live stream with Joe Biden. Remember that live stream where it looked like uh, Bernie was a hostage victim? Um, He went around during the deadly pandemic physically campaigning for this guy. He told his supporters, you got to vote for him. You got to vote for him. And what did he get? 
got passed off, passed over for labor secretary. None of his people really have been appointed as directors or top positions. And now, as I reported, and I'm going to report further today, Biden's moving away from the one promise he made of a $15 minimum wage. So if you're Bernie Sanders, uh, well, you know, A, do you understand the political power and leverage you have? B, are you willing to exert it? Because to me, it's not just whether you will vote no or yes. Why, in the first place, weren't you publicly castigating this and saying from the beginning, I will not vote for her and put Biden on his heels? Not, I'm not, not saying don't vote for her because of her tweets. Don't vote for her because she is a servant of the United Corporations of America. I mean, if you look through the donors to the Center for American Progress, it's a murderer, murderer's row of all of the special interests oppressing you, keeping the money, stealing the money from you. So I don't understand why he didn't do that. I also don't understand why he's not publicly going on offense against Biden's absurd, absurd um, explanation for why, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, Biden went on TV. Yeah, I don't really think that the minimum wage is going to make it into the COVID relief bill. You know, I just don't know if the Senate parliamentarian will allow it and blah, 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 blah. You know, Biden talking like he's just, you know, the landscaper at the White House. He's got no power to do anything, right? He can't twist some twist some arms uh, to make sure that $15 minimum wage is in the COVID relief bill. Of course he could if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to because he ran a kabuki theater campaign. He didn't really run on any policies. Let's, let's just call it what it is. Biden ran on restoring the soul of America and yada, yada, yada. You know, we're better than this. Uh, Charlottesville, you know, you know the thing. And come on, man. There was no signature policy. He said he's for a $15 minimum wage, but he didn't make guarantees that he would fight for it. And now he's coming up with neoliberal technocratic excuses for why a minimum wage can't happen in his COVID relief bill. Well, if you are a student of history, we know, listen, as a new president, particularly with his president, full Democratic House, uh, excuse me, full control, the House, the, the Senate, you got the White House. Um, you have a very short window to get big, big things done. Obama squandered it. Obama used his short window to get a, you know, frankly, a sexual favor for the healthcare insurance companies through Obamacare. Uh, and Biden, he's got a very short window to get serious, bold things through. You know, in six months, I mean, if the Republicans aren't going to work with him now, imagine in six months, because they're already going to be looking towards 2022 in the midterms. So what is going on here? I would like Bernie. And uh, do these people exist? The Squad Plus, whatever you want to call this. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocon, Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush, Marie Newman, uh, recently elected in Illinois, Mondaire Jones here uh, in New York. Where are these people? Why have they not come out publicly uh, saying no on Neera Tandon? Sure, the final votes of the Senate, but they have voices. Why are they not coming out swinging against Biden's bullshit moonwalking away from a $15 minimum wage? 
do, I mean, we have numbers here. We have voices. We have activists. They're saying nothing. I mean, listen, mad props to AOC. Uh, she's, been, she's been doing more than the actual elected Texas senators and congressmen for Texas. I think she raised $5 million so far down in Texas. She went down there and she didn't even represent Texas to help with relief with their catastrophic power outage. I mean, she deserves serious, serious props for that. But she's had the opportunity before that, during that, to say uh, this is not an acceptable, this is not acceptable from President Biden. Why is there no organizing going on between Bernie and the Senate? Uh, If you count Jeff Merkley, who's semi with Bernie in the Senate as a progressive, these progressives in the House, like, what are we doing other than tweeting how terrible Ted Cruz is, how terrible Trump is, how terrible the Republicans are? What are we doing here? Shama Sawant, Shama Sawant, who I love, um, she has made clear that, you know, a lot of the fights that they have been victorious she has been victorious in, in Seattle. $15 minimum wage and a few other things. They went into it not necessarily knowing if they could win, but it was about building the organizing infrastructure to go on offense. And you would expect, this is what she has told people, you would expect, yeah, you're not going to win every battle, but ultimately you need to have the organize, organizing structure set up to win any battles. And ultimately they did win several battles, including a $15 minimum wage in Seattle. So, you know, I will, I will gladly, gladly have egg on my face if Bernie um, votes no on her. It might not get to that, but, you know, if you're a volunteer who's volunteered in 2016, 2020 for Bernie, if you're a volunteer who's volunteered or donated for AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, all these people, I mean, okay, we're happy that you're progressive on the issues, But if you're not going to publicly fight against the people oppressing us, then what are you doing there? I mean, right now, it is a very, very simple fight against Biden. You said you were going to make a $15 minimum wage happen. There's no reason it can't be in the COVID relief bill. The Congressional Budget Office has already scored the amount of money uh, or how the budget would be affected by a $15 minimum wage. The fact that they did that means it has ramifications for the budget. Not to get too technical for you, but to use budget reconciliation, which is the process they're trying to put the $1.9 trillion uh, COVID bill through, to do it through budget reconciliation, which cuts the Republicans out. Uh, and all you would need is you know all the Democrats to vote for it, plus Vice President Harris. To do it, you need to show it has a budget impact. Well, Bernie Sanders and others showed that raising the minimum wage to $15 would have a budget impact. So Biden doesn't have any real excuses. And frankly, the media is not calling him out on this. The media is not saying, well, what do you mean you don't think it could get through the parliamentarian hurdles? They're not saying anything. Uh, I don't even hear the Young Turks, you know, um, supposed independent progressive media. I don't hear them. Where is the fight? Where is the fight? Because, you know, progressives, they went to sleep when President Obama was president. And unfortunately, I see some of that happening now. I also want to show, because we were just talking about uh, where are the progressives on the minimum wage. Uh, Here's a story from Politico. Democrats are scrambling 
to piece, piece together a backup plan that could save their minimum wage hike from getting tossed out of President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package and win over moderates wary of the proposal. The budget tool that Democrats are using to steer Biden's plan through Congress without GOP support, known as reconciliation, is laden with thorny restrictions waiting to ensnare the $15 minimum wage boost they've added to the next tranche of coronavirus relief. Let me explain for you folks what this bullshit propaganda politicals writing is. First of all, the budget tool that Democrats are using to steer Biden's plan through Congress without GOP support, GOP support known as reconciliation, is laden with thorny restrictions waiting to ensnare the $15 minimum wage boost they've added to the next tranche. I don't know who the hell's writing this. Okay, so that that nonsense about thorny restrictions, that's called manufacturing consent. Watch it, read it, the great Noam Chomsky. There are no thorny restrictions. This is a figment of the neoliberal, neoliberal imagination, or more simply put, gas coming out of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party's anus. Excuse me. Uh, there is no thorny restrictions. It's not like the Senate parliamentary, the Senate parliamentarian overrules the president of the United States, okay? If Biden wanted this in, the COVID relief bill, it would be in. If Biden wanted $2,000 monthly checks, $2,000 monthly checks, it would be in if they were doing it through budget reconciliation. I could go down the list, canceling the rent. I could go down the list, expanding Medicare, dare I say, Medicare for all. If if, If Biden wanted it, he would do it. You remember Lyndon B. Johnson? Didn't love him on everything. Good on domestic stuff, the Great Society, all that. Horrendous on Vietnam. Fairly corrupt, too. But you want to know what? As president, he did something called greasing the skids. He rubbed elbows with senators. He muscled senators. He threatened senators. And he got them to do what he wanted. Okay? Biden could do that. Biden could do a little uh, Governor Cuomo here. I'll destroy you. Let's not even get into Andrew Cuomo. My God. But he chooses not to. Biden could go to Joe Manchin and say, you're going to vote for this $15 minimum wage. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to West Virginia. If you're not going to do it, I'm going on the air. I'm going in person. And I'm taking taking you on. And I'm going to back a primary opponent to you. Joe Biden would be running like a little, little girl. Okay, Uh, same thing with Kristen Sinema or any of them. So this is preposterous and Politico and the other media are taking the BS um, rationalizations and excuses that Biden and the Democrats are making that technically the Senate rules won't allow it and blah, 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 blah. And they're just reprinting it. But there is no thorny. There's no thorny rules stopping $15 minimum wage or anything else from getting in to the COVID relief bill. And I don't understand why Bernie Sanders, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, all of them, I don't understand why they're not screaming from the the rooftops against this. By the way, you know, one of Bernie's correct criticisms of President Obama was you had this organizing army that got you into the White House in 2008, and then you left your, your volunteers, your army, on the White House lawn. You didn't utilize it. Well, Bernie, you still have a legion of supporters. Yeah, there's people that, you know, he's a sellout, this, that, and the other thing. But if Bernie 
started calling in the troops. To be clear, YouTube, since you have a hard time distinguishing between literal and figurative language, I'm not talking about violently calling in the troops. I'm talking about calling in the political troops. You know what I'm saying? Not violence, political organizing. But if Bernie would if Bernie would go on CNN tonight and go ham on Joe Biden for moonwalking away from his promises, for making shit up and enlist his supporters. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the power? Can you imagine the power of that act? Could you imagine how many calls would flood the White House? Could you imagine the media coverage that would get? Sure, they'll gaslight and say Bernie's being decisive, whatever. Who the hell cares? Can you imagine the spark of leadership, which would then inspire action? Yeah, you might not have like physical protests all over the place because you do have a, a raging pandemic, which, knock on, knock on wood, the cases are down right now, although we're about to hit this horrible milestone uh, of 500,000 dead. But where is this? And it's not just that, um, to me, it's not just the lack of leadership. It's kind of like, the whole, it's just completely head-scratching. Like, it's not even like anything stopping you if you're Bernie Sanders or you're, um, uh, you know, AOC, Rashida Tlaib. And I've spoken with people, you know, I try to be vague because I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to reveal any sources, but I've spoken with people in kind of Bernie's world and they don't understand it. They don't understand what he's waiting for. They don't understand, like, has Joe Biden not shown you who he is already? He passed you over for a cabinet position. He essentially named one of your most fierce enemies as a director, which is a slap in the face near a tandem. Uh, he's now moonwalking away from a $15 minimum wage. There's a deadly pandemic, and his solution that he said during its CNN town hall is to expand COBRA, the for-profit healthcare scam. So he's telling you who he is. Listen, let me read a little bit more of this so you kind of have an idea of what they're trying. So the White House and Hill Democrats have been waiting to see how the Senate parliamentarian, its official advisor on procedural matters, opines on the wage increase. That ruling could happen as early as Tuesday, according to a senior Senate Democratic aide. In the meantime, Democrats are already weighing several options to try to, to try to save the wage hike from fully imploding and make it more palatable for moderates in their own party, whom congressional leaders need lockstep support from in order to muscle the COVID-19 aid package through the Senate with a simple majority vote before unemployment benefits expire for millions of Americans in mid-March. Quote, there are two issues going on right now. One is the bird rule problems. One is whip problems, said House Budget Chair John Yarmuth, referring in the, ca- in the first case to the procedural hurdle that could quash the wage hike in the Senate. If Joe Manchin isn't going to vote for it because of the minimum wage, I assume we would take it out or compromise in a way that he would accept. Are you f-ing kidding me? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine for a second? Can you just imagine for a second? Trump, who, by the way, the Supreme Court ruled today that his tax returns for the last eight years have to come out. So we'll see what happens. My assumption is it might show uh, a long, long, long history of tax evasion and potentially money laundering. So that would be fun. Um, can you imagine if Trump was president or, I don't know, Paul Ryan was president or 
President Tom Cotton in 2024 or name your extremist QAnon, you know, lunatic. And they'd say, well, you know, we really want these tax cuts or we really want this wall or we really want whatever insane, uh, you know, terrible thing. But we really, you know, we just got to wait for the Senate parliamentarian to rule. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if they started saying things like, well, you know, we got to wait till the parliamentarian rules and, you know, the bird rule and blah, 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 blah. I mean, this is beyond bullshit, beyond gaslighting, beyond bullshit, beyond nonsense. I mean, nobody, does, does anybody believe that these are the real reasons that they're not doing it? Here's the real reason they're not doing it. It's very clear. Here's what Joe Biden said to donors during the campaign. Corporate America has to change its ways. It's not going to require legislation, though, because I'm not proposing any. We've got to think about how we deal people back in. It's not going to require legislation. So, guys, this is the honor system, guys and gals. Donors, behave. What did Hillary Clinton tell Wall Street? Cut it out. But, you know, I'm not going to, like, do something crazy like legislation to force you to behave. Force you to pay people a living wage. And by the way, let's be clear, $15 minimum wage isn't even enough. That's not enough. Are you kidding? If, if the minimum wage was following the trends of the last 40 years of inflation, we're talking we're closer to a $23, $25 minimum wage. And the $15 minimum wage, it's not even going into effect right away. You're talking, if, it, if they voted on this today, if it passed, you're talking it goes from $7.25, I believe, to $9.50. Then the next year, from uh, $9.50 to $11 something. Then it would go to $13 something. And then it would go to $15 in five years. Well, in 2025, if, when it's officially 20, uh, $15 an hour, by that point, if you're talking about you know, taking into account inflation, you'd be closer probably to $27, $28 it should be. So it's just absurd. It's absurd. And the thing that really infuriates me is not just that the progressives right now are not fighting and have no leadership, but where, where in the world? Like, do these people, I understand, a lot, you know, millions of people voted not because they, you know, were enthralled by Joe Biden, but just wanted to get rid of Trump. I get it. But those people a lot of those people are, are in desperate need of help. A lot of those people, even people that are not hardcore progressives, but, you know, voted to get rid of Trump. They have no protections to be evicted from their homes when the eviction moratorium is up. Biden, during his CNN town hall, said, uh, yeah, we're temporarily halting foreclosures, i.e., yeah, when the pandemic is over, good luck. We're not going to do shit permanently, just like Obama let millions be foreclosed on. I mean, where is the outrage that they're doing next to nothing? Recently, former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder was charged with two, uh, two counts of misdemeanor, willful neglect of duty related to the Flint water crisis. Yes, let me repeat that. The governor who presided over the poisoning of an entire community was charged with a misdemeanor that is up that he would face, if convicted, up to a year in prison and a $1,000, yes, a $1,000 fine. So, you know, the, peop the residents of Flint are certainly not happy about that. And I and Jen 
were kind of flabbergasted when we found out that he was only being charged with a misdemeanor because we were working on a massive story for months, ultimately was published in The Intercept, which we appreciate them uh, publish, where we found that the original Flint water investigation, if you don't know, in April, it's now seven years. Let me repeat that. Seven years since Flint, Michigan had clean drinking water. Uh, seven years, not, a, not one person's in jail, folks. Seven years, the people of Flint have been struggling. Mountains of medical bills. All of the pipes have not been changed or fixed. Their interior plumbing has not been touched. So, you know, the toxic water didn't just skip over their interior plumbing inside their homes. You know, a misdemeanor. And I don't care if Rick Snyder's a Republican. I don't care if he's a Democrat. That doesn't matter. He was the governor of the city. And from what Jen and I found, and if you didn't read the story, I mean, as humbly as I could say it, I think the story we broke for The Intercept, I just dropped it in the Super Chat, uh, is to me one of the most comprehensive, thorough investigative reports on anything, really, uh, in the last decade. I'm not just saying that because it's mine. I'm saying that because, I mean, it is one bombshell after the other that. But in that story. But the top line of what we found was in October 2014, which was six months after they switched Flint to the Flint River. By this point, you had residents, children, rashes all over the body, residents losing hair, um, residents getting sick. I've, I've heard people that had nosebleeds at that time, complaining to the city of Flint officials, complaining to uh, state officials in the governor's office. At this t and there were uh, a significant increase in cases of the Legionnaires outbreak. Legionnaires is a deadly, deadly waterborne disease um, that could kill you. It travels through um, air, you know, uh, steam in the shower or uh, particles coming from your air conditioning. It, it's, it generally comes from cooling, uh, cooling machines like an air tower, air conditioning, the shower, but it came because of the Flint water switch to the Flint River. So by October 2014, there was at that point at least 30, over 30 cases in the Flint area of Legionnaires. And this was a huge increase because the, the annual up to that point was about 9 to 12. You had over 30. So we found uh, from the criminal investigation, search warrants were issued and Governor Snyder his chief of staff at the time, his health director at the time, there were search warrants issued for their phones. And what they found was an avalanche, an avalanche of phone calls between the governor, his chief of staff, the health director, and the Michigan Health and Hospital Association over two days at the same exact time that Snyder's health department, Snyder's environmental department were scrambling about the Legionella outbreak investigators, not me, investigators concluded that those phone calls, those phone calls were about the Legionella outbreak, were about making sure it did not go public just two weeks before Snyder was up for re-election. Investigators, investigators concluded that. The Michigan Health and, the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, which was part of that avalanche of phone calls, they 
they are basically like a think just I don't know think about like a health association. They had a bunch of member they hospitals were their members. McLaren Hospital in Flint, McLaren Hospital in Flint, which had a huge outbreak of Legionella, was a member of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. McLaren Hospital in Flint, uh, executives of McLaren were on the board of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. And the Michigan Health and Hospital Association was part of that avalanche of phone calls. We're talking 22 phone calls in two days. Uh, nine, nine phone calls between the governor's chief of staff and the Department of Health and Human Services, the director. Nine of those calls, the chief of staff and the health director, four of the nine calls, as soon as the chief of staff and the health director hang up, the chief of staff immediately called Governor Snyder. That's called a cutout. That's called a middleman. So the governor doesn't have to talk directly to the health director. What do you think they were speaking about over two days? The weather? By the way, the investigation kind of did an analysis. How often, how often do these people speak to each other on the phone? Is this normal activity for the amount they were talking? They found that the chief of staff and the health director who spoke nine times in two days, they only spoke once before, dating back to 2013. So we're talking 2014, two days, all of these calls are taking place. In October 2014, they found only one other call between Snyder's chief of staff and health director. So the investigation found Snyder wasn't, wasn't like willfully neglecting, wasn't willfully neglecting his duty. He was actively involved in the cover-up. The original investigation, the original investigation found that uh, excuse me, found enough evidence to charge the governor with misconduct in office, willful neglect of duty, which is the misdemeanor. And at the time that the new attorney general came in and fired the whole investigative team, they were going for involuntary manslaughter against the governor. So let's move this forward. The new attorney general in two, 2019, Democrat Dana Nessel, she fired the whole team the special prosecutor, the chief investigator, and the whole investigation team that had been investigating the Flint water crisis from 2016 to 2019. She restarts the investigation. She drops a whole lot of uh, charges against eight defendants. And recently, in January of this year, she comes out and charges Governor Snyder with a misdemeanor, willful neglect of duty. She, the, her investigation has not provided any of the evidence because they did their whole investigation was done in a secret one-man grand jury. One-man grand jury means a judge. A judge was the grand jury who reviewed the evidence. We have no idea what evidence was provided to the judge. I don't know if the phone calls that Jen and I reported on were provided to the judge. In the Intercept story, which again, definitely check it out if you haven't read it. Um, we also found a briefing uh, governor, it was it was uh, headlined governor's briefings. Let me get it for you. So right here, we found the investigation had found governor's briefings from October 22nd. So these were the notes from an October 22nd managers meeting. So the environmental department uh, met a bunch of managers in the state environmental office is met, and the notes from that meeting mentioned governor's briefings. And the governor's briefings right here, Genesee County, which Flint is part of, has seen an increase in Legionella. McLaren has detected Legionella, not detected in McLaren incoming water. Why is this critical? Why is this potentially a smoking gun? 
Who's the governor? Rick Snyder. When is this? October 2014. When did the governor tell Congress that he first learned of the deadly Legionella outbreak? January 2016. This is October 2014. So we're currently working on a follow-up, which is pretty damn explosive if you ask me. Uh, stay tuned on that. Can't give you a can't give you a definitive date. It will be published, but pretty soon. Uh, so stay tuned. Now, in that, <laughs> if you thought the first intercept story was something, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's really all I could say. It is. Uh, it's really something. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Today, Governor Snyder's attorney comes out and says. Neglecting a city is not a crime. Nope, this is not the onion. Governor Snyder's lawyer wrote, uh, in court, said, neglecting a city is not a crime. Attorneys representing Michigan's former governor, Rick Snyder, charged with two misdemeanors as part of a years-long investigation into the Flint water crisis are arguing that their client cannot be charged because, quote, neglecting a city is not a crime, according to a court filing on Monday. Neglecting a city is not a crime, certainly not one with which Governor Snyder has been charged, nor did Governor Snyder have any duties owed specifically to Flint. Nor did Governor Snyder have any duties owed specifically to Flint. Snyder's team also argues that the grand jury indictment was a procedural error because it came from Genesee County and Snyder worked in Lansing in Ingram County. Quote, his alleged crimes were committed, if at all, from that location, not in the city of Flint or anywhere else in Genesee County. Lennon wrote, adding that Snyder's legal team believes charging him from there has to do with reasons that almost certainly have much to do with attempting to tip the scales in their favor which presumably they're going to ask for a change of venue so he, the trial can't happen in Genesee County where Flint is. It's, quote, it's clear the prosecution is desperate to keep the case in Genesee County. The state is now asking the court to perform legal and logistical gymnastics to cover for their fatal flaw of obtaining their charges in the wrong county. Snyder will be back in court tomorrow for a pretrial hearing. I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't even know where to start with this. So let's start. Let's start first. Well, first off, let me read. Uh, in response to this, Melissa Mays, who I've interviewed many, many times. Um, here's what Melissa Mays said. She's a Flint resident, one of the top activists in Flint. Uh, day 2495 in the Flint water crisis. Again, almost seven years that this city is not a clean drinking water. Apparently making the decisions that led to the poisoning, permanent damage, and deaths of innocent men, women, and children in Flint isn't a crime. I wonder what would happen if I poisoned 100,000 people, but I'm not a rich white man, so pretty, pretty firm. So let's go with the first, that the governor didn't owe any specific duty to the city of Flint. Um, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I do know my map of Michigan, and I'm pretty sure that Flint is located in Michigan, and I'm pretty sure that when you're a governor, your duty is to all of the land within your state. 
So this whole, I don't know what legal uh, mental gymnastics Snyder's lawyer is trying to use that he didn't owe uh, a particular duty to Flint. But if you're the governor of the state, if the water source in that city at the time of 100,000 people was switched, then yeah, that's a pretty significant thing for Flint to switch to the Flint River. The state of Michigan, the state of Michigan had to approve it uh, for Flint to join a brand new water pipeline, which was a financial scam that Flint was put on a brand new water pipeline that was totally unnecessary. If you live in Michigan, you know what I'm talking about, the KWA pipeline, uh, the state of Michigan had to approve that. So this whole, you know, oh, Flint is on a different island and it's not within Rick Snyder's purview and he didn't owe a specific duty to the people of Flint? Boy, that is some real legal gymnastics, if you ask me. Secondly, I don't know, a super, uh, a multi-millionaire white dude saying, yeah, I don't really, I, did, I didn't really owe any specific duty to this, you know, this city of poor black people, poor brown people, poor white people. You know, I didn't have a duty to them. I was just the governor. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine using that as a legal defense that I don't owe that city? I didn't owe any specific duty to Flint. Nor did Governor Snyder have any duties owed specifically to Flint. But then neglecting a city is not a crime. Well, I will say to Mr. Brian Lennon, who's Snyder's lawyers, who's Snyder's lawyer and my follow-up story that I'm doing with Jen, you might be in it, sir, Mr. Lennon. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question. So this whole neglecting a city is not a crime. First of all, my reporting shows Governor Snyder did a whole lot more, did a whole lot more than neglect Flint. Our reporting indicates he actively covered up a deadly water disease that was spreading through Flint's water, actively covered up, for as long as a year and a half, a, a, a year and a half. That's not neglect of duty. That is involuntary manslaughter. That is what the original investigation was going towards. So this is not neglect of duty. But putting that aside, when he says uh, neglect of duty is not a crime, actually in the Michigan Penal Code, it is a crime, neglecting your duty. And Mr. Lennon, should know, and this is about more than Flint, because if they get away with this shit, imagine what your governor and mayor can get away with. Um, as a public official, whether it's a governor, a mayor, any executive, as part of most states' constitution, part of the law, part of the constitution of each state is you have a public duty when it comes to health and security. You have a public duty to act if you have knowledge of potentially something deadly that could kill your people. It's, it's, it's law. In Michigan, there are, there are laws that the health department and the governor had a public duty to act. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, Flint is so long ago, we're talking 2014, 2015, that this is not as, um, it's not as fresh to them. It's not as, I don't want to say not important, but just not as, you know, when time passes, we lose our 
fire for something. But can you just imagine for a second if this was 2020 and President Trump had, you know, coronavirus is airborne, right? So let's just alternative history here. Coronavirus started in the United States, not in China or anywhere else, right? Can you imagine if it came out that Trump knew that there was this airborne disease in the United States? It had not traveled anywhere else. And he, his chief of staff, his health director, bottled it up and hid it from the public for months as people were getting sick and dying. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the justified, by the way, wall-to-wall coverage on CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, Reuters, Daily Beast, you name it, here. Could you imagine the wall-to-wall coverage? Could you imagine the potential criminal charges that would come against Trump and anyone else involved with not notifying the public? Well, that's what we're talking about. In this case, it's the water. It's not an airborne you know, it's not an airborne uh, viral virus from another country. But this is what we're talking about here. The Michigan media is out to lunch. It's been out to lunch. They don't challenge any of this. They don't challenge the fact that the attorney general just charged the governor with what it was described to me by Flint residents, a parking ticket for poisoning an entire city. A misdemeanor. A misdemeanor. And now the multimillionaire governor and his high priced attorney with a note with a straight face are saying that it's not a crime to neglect a city. It's not a crime. You know, he didn't have any special duty to this city. He was just a governor. It's not like Flint is part of Michigan. And, you know, I, I hear practically nothing. I mean, I'm going to cover it because to me, and I've always said this, it's not just about the city of Flint, Michigan. This is about do we live in a country or do we live in a corporation masquerading as a country? Do we live in a country that if the government, whether intentionally or unintentionally, poisons its citizens, they're going to leave them to die? Because they've been doing this to Native Americans for hundreds of years. They've been doing this to black and brown people, building their neighborhoods on top of environmental wastelands and environmental toxins. But in this case, you literally have them acutely. This was an acute situation over a year and a half. Poisoned an entire community. They did nothing to stop it when they knew it was going on. They knew children were drinking this lead. They knew children, adults, were drinking bacteria-tainted water. And they did nothing. And you're telling me it's a misdemeanor? You're telling me, oh, you know, he didn't have a special duty to Flint. You're telling me, oh, it's not a, it's not a, you know, as the governor, it's not a duty if you neglect an ongoing raging water crisis, which by the way, he wasn't neglecting. We've shown he was actively trying to cover it up. I mean, this is blasphemy. 